Okay, welcome to the first day of dragon training school. I'm your dragon training instructor, Buttfart. Uh, you can tell oh. that's a traditional Viking name because it is gross to hear. <laughs> it is grating on the ears. What are we going to learn today for our first day of training? Okay, so the first thing you're going to learn is how not to get eaten by a dragon. Okay. Now, unfortunately, we haven't really worked out all the uh, details on that whole thing. So, you know, basically the lesson is don't get too close to the dragon's mouth. And if the dragon is opening his mouth, you might want to get away from the dragon. A dragon ate both my arms. Okay, so this is very common. This happens a lot of times at Dragon Training School. What we're going to need to do is you're just going to take these two sticks here, these two branches, and we're just going to tie those to your humoruses or your humori, and, uh, and then there you go. Now, see, you got a good pair of arms right there. I don't think that's very funny. <laughs> maybe it maybe it could be if people call me like um like peg peg arm peg boy. Okay, I, I, I was. <laughs> I want a good Viking name too. What's my name gonna be? Uh, okay, well here's the thing: it's common Viking practice to uh, name the child after what they look like when they are an infant. So, what did you look like when you were an infant? You must remember I what you really look like. I had really knotted hair. <laughs> okay, so we're going to call you Trashfire. <laughs> That's a good name. That'll strike fear in your enemies for sure. Yeah, it has fire in it. I love it. Okay, good. So, now that we have uh, made you comfortable with the concept of fire, why don't you come over here and take a look at this flame hell dragon. Uh, why don't you just, yeah, oh, oh, wait, no, no, no. Oh, it's, oh, it's opening ah! its mouth! Oh, God! Oh, no! This is terrible! Not another one! Hello, satirists, and welcome to Swords and Satire the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with my draconic co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Twinkletoes, somebody who tiptoes around everywhere they go and uh, likes to tiptoe around sensitive subjects regarding dragon training. There are admittedly a lot of sensitive topics about dragon training. Yeah. Many things we just don't ask. Like, how do we feed all of these dragons? Where does the poop go? Yeah. Where do the duck dragons go in the winter? That's yes. also a good question. Yes. And I'm Jack Olander, a uh, fuzzy, warm-filtered memory of childhood. Oh, <laughs> that is comforting. And also strangely disturbing. It, actually, I was thinking it would be, it sounds nice and like a relief to just be a concept. Yeah, well, you know, if you're troubled by it, just remember that time Stoic the Vast had that conversation with Hiccup? Wasn't that nice? Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Just we think just, about that. We <laughs> just, as long as we don't think about 
your impermanent state. We won't, our brains won't bleed out of our ears trying to think about how you have a physical body. It's true. Instead, remember that time Stoic gave Hiccup his mom's breastplate for a helmet? Well, what a good time. <laughs> well, if you haven't figured it out by now, this week we're going to be talking about How to Train Your Dragon 3, The Hidden World. But before we do that, I'm going to give you some technical information about it. And technically, uh, that means just a few people involved in it, because the film was directed by Dean Dublois, and it stars Jay Baruchel, America Ferreira, F. Murray Abraham, Kate Blanchett, and I guess kind of uh, Gerard Butler has got oh, yeah. a, a quick uh, cameo. I mean, he exists I... in the before times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Craig Ferguson, Jonah Hill, Christopher Mintz-Plaz, Kristen Wiig, Kit Harington, T.J. Miller. This movie is just, uh, you know, replete. That's yeah. A, maybe I feel TJ like I have it. to mention that it's really up to each individual viewer whether or not it was de Blousey. <laughs> That's a good point. But we're going to get into that in a little bit. Before we do that, though... I think Chelsea has a summary that she's been just champing at the bit to get recited for everybody. That's right. Here's your summary for How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. So we start... <laughs> Intro cut. Dragons. <laughs> we couldn't find the world. <laughs> Yeah, and you see, we start we start back at Burke, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's dragons everywhere. Berkeley? That's a different place. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like a stony place. They're not stoned. It's full. I, of I was going to say, I think you're describing Berkeley, but, but somehow they have wooden houses. Don't think about it. Right. So. Well, they're Vikings. Nobody else is going to. I guarantee you. Um. They, we just have all the dragons. This is a haven for dragons now. This is our life. This is who we are. Burkians love dragons. Used to hate them? Nah, come on. Always loved them, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Now they can't imagine life without them. Ooh. Mm -hmm. But there are some dudes who are real bummers who... We're talking about Hiccup here, right? Uh, no, it's the generals of the former warlord Drago who are... I guess Ooh, yeah, they're forming guess. a loose coalition. I'd say it's a confederacy, maybe? They hire this dude named Grimmel to take out the last Night Fury. The last Night Fury? But that would be toothless! Yeah! No! And everybody's getting paired off. Everybody's in love with everybody else. It's a whole thing. <laughs> you gotta do the lines of the big last year, what is it? In bed with everybody. Yeah. They're in bed with everybody. It's a whole thing. Yeah, so Toothless finds... Playing uh, one side against the other. <laughs> in bed with everybody. I love it. <laughs> uh, Toothless has a new light fury. A white fury. Light fury. A Bright white fury? light fury. <laughs> Blue eyes white fury, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> They 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 kind of do a will they won't they with all the characters in this movie 
Every- Let's not forget the five-minute mating dance scene. Oh, God, please. I wish I could. Oh, yeah. So Grimmel's on the hunt, right? And they're like, this won't do. We need a safe, a new this safe This aggression <laughs> won't stand, man. <laughs> we need a new safe place for our dragons. Because we coexist. That's who we are. We are dragon people now. And we could fight back with dragons, but nah. We have a whole fucking town of dragons. But somehow this dude is able to just sneak in. We're bad at our jobs of guarding our town, guys. Oh, God, yeah. I give these Vikings, um, let's see, 10 out of 10 horned helms, which is to say not good Vikings, because Vikings did not wear horned helms, except for during rituals. Right. So they, they go on an exodus to find a new home where they can all live together in peace without people trying to murder them all, you know? Harsh in their mellow. I know, these poor Vikings just trying to live peaceful lives, coexisting, then all of a sudden these people come out of nowhere raiding their... Oh, wait. (laughs) I know, right? Got (laughs) him. They find a new place full of cliffs and... Trees. Trees. (laughs) They finally found the trees to build their homes with. Don't question it. So, um, they find this caldera of that's a mythical hidden land where dragons can have this safe haven, and it's like Dracotopia. And eventually they realize, you know what? All those dragons have to go live there. We have to let them go. If you love something, you will let it go. Yeah, but I thought the thing was, and if it loves you back, it will return or something. Because these dragons ain't coming back. Well, they get to visit Hiccup later on when they've all had kids and Hiccup's grown a beard. Yeah, but I guess the vast majority of dragons did not love their owners or human companions, whatever you'd call them. It's hard to say. (laughs) But yeah, they let them go because the world was not ready for dragons and humans are very greedy. That's the message of this movie. Damn, I guess we're already into themes. Well, there you go. All right. That was a extremely engaging summary. And that means it's time for the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of How to Train Your Dragon 3, The Hidden World. Now, guys, can these dragons really be trained? I don't know. Are we really anything without our dragons anyway? So, guys, this movie poses a lot of big, important questions that I think we've all faced or dealt with at some point in our life. Such as, what are you willing to sacrifice for your people? What role does leadership take in your society? How the fuck do you train a dragon? I mean, we <laughs> we all know these questions. Yeah. But I think the the one that I really want to start with is this theme of unity and relationships that carries itself through the entire movie. So we've got this connection between Toothless 
and the Light Fury, right? And that's like this big catalyst for change. Yeah. It's but kind I just of... want to point out that unity and relationships are a theme of the entire series, too. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, that is, yeah, like the, the first movie is all about how Hiccup and Toothless kind of have to learn to trust each other and, mm -hmm. and like build this bond. And then that carries over to the second movie. But in this movie, we're seeing something finally coming in between their relationship. I mean, in the last movie, Hiccup and Toothless relationship survives Toothless accidentally killing Hiccup's father, Stoic. Yeah. So they've got to be pretty well bonded by this point. And they find out, you know, they find Toothless's um, arousal button and they, they survive that weirdness, too. Yeah, it's always yes. awkward when you find your buddy's arousal button for the first time. <laughs> that was in the second movie. Um, and in this one, you know, Toothless just wants to fuck and uh, mm -hmm. Hiccup's like, I can't really get in the way of that. You know what? I, I want to get in the way, but I just can't. He wants to be number one in Hiccup's life. Toothless. I mean, <laughs> he wants to be number one in Toothless's life. But, you know, once a Night Fury has eyes for their counterpart light fury there's just nothing you can do to really get in between them yeah i know and they're gonna spend five minutes doing a weird mating dance so that you know that nothing can get in between them but you know it's not as if hiccup is not also courting love in his own right because he and astrid have been having their little secret trysts up on the mountainside yeah getting together and there's a lot of hullabaloo about how Astrid and Hiccup need to marry to unite power as like a chief and chiefess. Yeah. Or chieftain and chiefess. Yeah. And they're kind of getting a lot of pressure, especially from Gobber. But it seems like also kind of from society as a whole to kind of unite power and to become a united symbol for the people of Burke. Right. Who are kind of going through these complex growing pains of adapting to life with this new industry of dragonomics, I guess? <laughs> Dragon ownership and husbandry? I mean, there's there's a major growing pain because they're taking on more dragons than they can handle because they're rescuing them from the trapper barges that belong to those gener aforementioned generals. And there's more dragons than there are humans in Burke at this point. But yeah, the dragons way outnumber the Burkeans, and they've been actually like liberating dragons from the other warlords, right? It's been their personal mission to save all the other dragons and kind of get them together. Hiccup, he's an idealist, right? He decides that, you know, we might not have the infrastructure to support all these dragons, but the dragons, gosh darn it, they gotta be saved, and well, I'm gonna be the one who's gonna do it, so we're just gonna make it work, right? That's that's kind of the hiccup spirit, I would say. Exactly, and I think they acknowledge that quite a bit in this movie. He's a doer, he's kind of a boosher, you know what I'm saying? He booshes. <laughs> and that's uh, there are several times in the film where he's coming up with plans, and he's like, "What? What do you think? Is this like? Is does this plan make sense?" And all his friends are like, "I mean, it's a very hiccup plan, right?" And it's like, "Well, that's not exactly like a a resounding endorsement." 
right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that means yeah. no, none of the rest of us are going to make a plan. So having a plan is probably better than no plan. So we'll do it. Maybe you say maybe that's why he's good in charge because he always has a plan and he acts on it, right? Don't and so you know maybe that's why you know maybe that's why he's good in charge. I mean that's a good point. Maybe. <laughs> Jack's dog is uh, playing with a squeaky toy, so if anybody <laughs> hears that, uh, you can Fergus. just uh, know that that's the spirit of Fergus talking yeah. to you. Yeah. That's my dragon. <laughs> well trained. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that's a great point. I think that one of Hiccup's kind of defining qualities as a character is that he's always thinking, he's always at least trying to calculate a plan or a way to get around the hardships that his people are facing. He's not content with just letting fate take over for him. Right. He's always trying to solve the issue of how do we further unite the human and dragon clans, you know? The, our, <laughs> build the bridge between your peoples. Like, how how do we really coexist how do we peacefully coexist and find a way to live together that isn't just falling down on top of each other <laughs> it reminded me a lot of the beautiful bond between jake sully and his egron in james cameron's avatar oh god no, no. Oh, god <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, never mind. I, I mean, yeah, you're right. No, no, go ahead. Get, exp expand. Oh, no, that was... <laughs> What's an Egon? I forget. The weird an dragon. Egon? The weird oh, dragon fly yeah. thing. Back in military ops, we call them banshees. But the natives call them the Egron. <laughs> A hunter is paired with one Egron for life. <laughs> You know they choose you because they're going to try to kill you. And then you have weird hair tail sex with them and everything's but, cool. Exactly. You, you start having sex with the animal that tried to kill you, right? But we're not talking about Avatar right now. No, no, no. We'll or never even, talk about Avatar. Or even Fern Gully. Not, well, we can talk about Fern Gully. Yeah. Fern Gully not we'll yet. talk about. Someday yes. we will watch that. We will cover that. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Someday we will cover that. But the bond between a dragon and a human, it's very deep. The dragons are essentially just mischievous cat people that can't talk. <laughs> yep. That's right? a good description. Yep. It's important to acknowledge the intelligence. Yeah. There's some in between of cat and dog. And human. It's true. <laughs> and human. Intelligence. And human. And yes. octopus. Maybe. Yes. Now... When they said, when Hiccup said that humans aren't ready for dragons, we don't deserve them yet. My first thought was like, ah, oh, yes, the large creatures that live around humanity, right? I was just remembering the woolly mammoths. I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. And I'm remembering modern day white rhinos. And I'm like, oh, is this the like cultural message that How to Train Your Dragon 3 was inspired off of? Cuz it was right around the same time that like the that one of the rhinos, the northern white rhino, I think went extinct and like, ooh, 
Yeah. Is this is that one of the real world influences of why this is a message of the film that we're just not ready for these to take care of nature? Is it like a man versus nature thing? Yeah. I, I mean, think there is an element of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why they go on this self-imposed exile, uh, this exodus to find a new home because they do want to rescue these uh, animals, I suppose. It's kind of like animal rescue and conservation. Yeah. They don't want them to be enslaved, basically, by the generals. And they don't they want don't... them to be part of the uh, military dragon complex. <laughs> exactly. And they don't want them to be killed into Dragon extin- industrial complex? <laughs> they don't want them to be killed into extinction, either. Or killed yeah. by humans at all, really. Yeah. Enslaved is one thing. I mean, killed is another. Like, a, a lot of people in the culture around, in the culture around Burke seem to have Burke's old enmity for dragons. Yeah, they're antagonistic towards dragons. They want to either enslave them or kill them all. Like, Grimmel, the, the main villain who's hunting them, he wants to commit speciesicide against the dragons yeah he says that he killed his first night fury when he was like 11 or something and that's when he knew that he was better than a dragon like that's fucked up man yeah they're real supremacists yeah he also he specifically killed it while it slept he mentions i'm like oh good detail to catch yeah so it's it's he's saying this is like this brave act but i mean killing something in its sleep is i would say like the height of cowardice in a lot of ways it's very dishonorable yeah in every single culture that would be considered dishonorable yeah except for spartan culture so they're fighting against no less than (laughs) supremacist totalitarian regimes yeah that sounds about right. Human supremacists. And, I mean, the Burkeans want to embrace humanitarianism and peaceful coexistence with the dragons and um, a real symbiotic relationship and coexistence. So it's totally alien to the rest of the colonies around them, like you said. Yeah. Guys, I could talk about this movie all day, but... Before we keep going, why don't we head to the bounty board? You are soaring through the sky, untethered to the earth, proud and noble, a magnificent scaled beast flying free as a dragon. You spread your wings as wide as possible and whip your tail with joy, spraying fire from your nostrils. Before you, the embers begin to form letters, spelling out bounties? As the winter pall lifts and the seasons begin to change, don't you think it's time to enjoy a good book? And what better way to experience a story than with our favorite format here at Swords and Satire, audio recordings. That's why our show is sponsored in part by Audible, the world's leading provider of audiobooks, spoken word entertainment, and now podcasts. 
including ours, by the way. And if you head to audible.com slash swords right now, you'll be able to start your free 30-day trial of Audible, and you'll receive an audiobook of your choice that you get to keep even if you can't see your membership. Although I can't imagine why you'd want to, because Audible has thousands of titles and programs. And did I mention podcasts like Swords and Satire? After your 30-day trial, it's just $14.95 a month, and you'll get a monthly credit for an audiobook that will be yours forever. I love Audible because it helps keep me entertained when I'm sharpening swords, cleaning the moat, or fighting off those pesky invading hordes. I have a library of hundreds of titles from my favorite authors, from J.R.R. Tolkien and Naomi Novik to George Carlin and Jen Kirkman, and I'm always listening to some of the great titles from Audible's extensive collection. And you can start building your own library today. If you don't know what book to start off your collection with, you could grab The Fifth Season by Hugo Award-winning author N.K. Jemisin. It's a complex and gripping dystopian sci-fi epic filled with interesting characters, deep world-building, and cataclysmic events. It's also the first book in Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy, so once you finish book one, you'll be able to start your next month of Audible with the sequel, The Obelisk Gate. So one more time, head to audible.com swords to start your trial, get your first audiobook credit, your free wellness guide, and to browse the thousands of titles in Audible's extensive library of audiobooks, spoken word programs, and oh yeah, podcasts like this one. And now back to the episode. I want to circle back to something real quick that we've touched on, and that is this idea about overpopulation. When we first zoom in on Burke, we see the skies are literally alight with dragons. Yeah. There is a a dragon for every square inch of the sky, basically, at the beginning of the movie. They are flying like a swarm of gnats just circling Burke. And the movie, I was surprised. At first, I thought they were just going to kind of hand wave that away. They do address that there's an overpopulation problem due to these dragons. But what they don't address is a concept in anthropology known as carrying capacity. And that's yeah. how much food, shelter, and protection and resources a given area of land can provide for its inhabitants, uh, human and otherwise. Yeah, like there, there's a maximum number of inhabitants that the land can sustain for yeah a given range so the question i want to ask you guys is especially in light of the fact that we know that the sheep of burke have to be disguised as dragons so that the dragons will not eat those sheep where are all these dragons and humans being fed from the ocean they're all eating fish this was yeah. established in the first two movies. They they heavily rely on feeding them fish. So there is a very high likelihood, given this incredible influx of, what do we want to say, roughly 10,000 dragons in a five-year period, that the fish supply is going to soon be eradicated. That yeah. all edible ocean life is going to be in their general area is going to be gone and then they'll have to go ranging out farther and farther 
to maintain proper diets for all the people and all the dragons. Yeah, I mean, this is a family movie. They don't cover all of the issues that come with overpopulation. And that's why I'm here, to uh, scratch the surface. Like, potential economic strain or strain on trade networks. Uh, but Burke doesn't seem to have any trade networks. They're kind of isolated because of their whole dragon culture. Yeah. Dracula. Uh, like Jamie mentioned, the strain on the local resources and food sources. I like how you mention that Burke is isolated because it definitely feels that way. It's a tiny island. And calling it a nation is not no, accurate. No, it's a village. Tiny island village. Right? A town and if we're being generous. Yeah, and these conquerors are like, oh, this is where Stoic the Vast is from, and he was like the best of all of us, right? It's like, well, really? <laughs> and, and, and it's like these conquerors, they come here, and where are they from? They're from the far away. And there's ethnic diversity amongst them as well, and you're like, how far away are they from, right? Yeah. And Whereas also, the only ethnic diversity in Burke seems to be Scottish and American. <laughs> right. And we see Hiccup in the second movie in this one. He, you know, he's a cartographer. He's an explorer. He flies out on these journeys and takes down what he finds. Islands, right? And and now... Yeah. Only only islands. And now he's a conservationist and freedom fighter as well. It's true. But you gotta imagine he's gone pretty far to look at these islands. Right? Yeah. That's a fair he's assumption. made quite the map. It's what he's been doing for years. And you'll gotta imagine how far away is everyone else? We never see another country. We only see people from other countries, and they are one hundred percent bad people. Hmm. Even Eret, son of Eret, was a bad guy that they reformed. Great point. And he's now one of their allies and living with them in their town in this movie. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of some of the more uncomfortable American values coming out in this movie of like, we're this kind of island unto ourselves and we're surrounded by this vague, like at best antagonistic, at worst, like, downright dangerous other. Right. Yeah, the idea... No, you're you're putting it well, Jamie, that, like, all these people far off, they're coming directly to Burke from very distant lands just to ruin it, (laughs) right? To take from it. And... it's it's a theme in so many films where it's like, oh, those people have a lot. Let's go get it, right? And yeah. that's this film, and they'll go to any distance for it. And I, I thought it was interesting because in the first film, it was like, oh, Burke, we're good warriors, but let's become friends with the dragons, right? That was cool. That was cool. A shifting of cultural ideas. The second movie brings up the ideals that clash with that, right? The no... I mean, yes, let's, we don't have to kill dragons. What if we enslave dragons instead? And no, we don't like that. So they ended it, right? Yeah. And the third movie, this one, this one I thought was interesting because a lot of the warlords of Drago, 
they were like, they were still down for it. They're like, you know, Drago is a smart guy. Let's cute. Let's try enslaving the dragons. Burke has it. Let's try what Drago did. But this time we brought 10,000 ships of troops, right? Yeah. Maybe that'll do it. However, Grimmel, our main antagonist, he brings the third ideal, right? Genocide the dragons. <laughs> and even in the film, when he brings all of Burke's dragons to the warlords, he's like, good luck controlling them without the alpha, right? And they're like, wait, what? You fuck! Yeah. You, uh, you were supposed to bring us the Night Furies. Like, uh, I'm the guy who kills Night Furies. Why would I? He, why would I give it to you? He's basically a trophy hunter at that. Yeah. Point. Yeah. And so he's just like, yeah. Uh, he he really he's fine with these warlords being killed as a result of their own greed. Oh yeah. He's like he doesn't care. He thought it was funny, and also. He only exists for the glory of it, right? Like we were saying, he killed the dragon in his sleep. He was celebrated. He's like, well, what if I kill all of that kind of dragon? And just every dragon. What if I just kill them all? He even, what he uses like dragon pheromones or toxins to control their minds of dragons just to like make them his servants and slaves, basically. Yeah, yeah, I don't totally. get why he's using dragon slaves if he wants to kill all the dragons. Well, I, I, he kind of says it like they're just easy tools, you know, for the ends that he wants to achieve. And then he'll probably just kill them when he's done. Right. I mean, it's pretty disturbing. It's very disturbing. Yeah. But he, uh, the important thing to note about it, though, is he did it because he was a hero for doing it yeah. in his own culture. That's a good point. He has had these reinforced narratives about himself being better than others because he was able to do, quote unquote, like great deeds, right? Like murdering yeah. dragons that were perceived as a threat, mostly because of the ignorance of the people around the dragons who didn't ever do what Hiccup did and try to understand them in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I think I get what Jack might be getting at here with the disturbing messaging of this movie concerning the different humans of the yeah. different, um, you know, uh, communities of humans. Because, like you're saying, Jack, the movie portray in this third one in particular portrays all the other groups of humans as evil like you said and it's just like so what is what are kids supposed to take away from that only your like immediate family and community can be trusted and right. everyone just else group. who's different from you or has different ideas or who looks different is evil and to be fought against or hated or feared like I don't think they maybe intended for that message, but that's definitely one that's in there. Well, it doesn't help that the warlords of Draco or Drago are like coded as different ethnic groups, right? There's yeah. like a kind of um, like a shogun style armor on one guy, and then there's more of a like English armored uh, warlord and i think there might be some darker skinned uh like slave traders and stuff like 
the coding is not great. Yeah. Or, yeah. or the imagery is not great. Also, something about Grimmel I thought was interesting is, well, he's like Hiccup, but evil, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because he was saying, like you, when I was a kid, I came across We're Night not Fury. so different, you and I. Unlike you, I killed mine, right? Yeah. And it's like, that's the divergent path between the two of them. But they're still similar in a lot of ways. Like, they're both inventors. Yeah, it's true. Because Grimmel came up with this contraption for carrying chained up dragons. He has this these collars where he injects their own venom into themselves that he came up with. And it's... It's like good hiccup versus evil hiccup, which I thought was pretty interesting. That's a great well, point. Also, uh, Grimmel kind of thinks that hiccup is dangerous. And oh. that working with dragons is dangerous because eventually they will just turn on humans. And we don't really get to hear why he thinks that. And he, he thinks that they're dangerous beasts that need to be put down. And uh, we never really get his backstory or why he's just like evil from the get go. And so we I mean, we literally from childhood, it seems like we probably could have done with a little bit less of uh, the courting stuff in the movie. And they could have given him a little bit more of a backstory, maybe. But we could talk more about that in our next section. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, I mean, I think suffice to say. The villains, quote unquote, the bad guys of this movie, leave a bit to be desired in terms of how they are coded and portrayed and how the the message does seem to kind of inherently be that you can only trust your in-group. Yeah, I didn't really think about that before, but it's true. I also, like, this is more of a nitpick than anything, but I'm trying to figure out why they decided that these um, Highland-dwelling sheep farmers are Vikings and not, say, Scots, since they hired exclusively Scottish actors to play the adults. I don't know. Like, <laughs> why, why aren't they just Highlanders? I mean, what? not Highlanders, like, in the movie. Oh, what if they were Highlanders, though? Like, from the movie Highlander? <laughs> Very cool. That sounds like a rewriting history. I mean... Um, Hiccup does have a flame sword. Yo, good point. Yep. And I think Gerard Butler would be an excellent character uh, actor to cast in a remake of Highlander for the role of the Spaniard played yeah. by Sean Connery in the original. Yeah, who's, you know, who's a cringy person. So, um, But Gerard Butler, as far as I know, is cool. Hopefully. I really hope so. I am not going to look it up. Oh, God. Jared Butler is charming. Yes. <laughs> I, I've always liked him in pretty much every movie I've seen him in. So. so, something we noticed, and in particular, Jamie, you noticed this, when we were watching the movie, and we could talk about it now, is how the themes of sacrifice and unity are actually kind of conflicting in the narrative. Yes, absolutely. This struck me especially towards the end of the movie. And the reason for that is that all the messaging early on is about how people need to come together, how the way forward for Burke is to live in harmony with the dragons 
They have to go yeah. through these growing pains. You know, maybe they just need some new lands. Maybe they need to expand somehow. But constantly it's reinforcing this idea that the best thing you can do is to unite, which are the message I really like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Jack pointed out while we were watching the movie, too, that that's like their whole cultural identity at this point. Yeah. Is that they're dragon riders and dragon trainers. And dragon husbandries. Yeah. Husbanders? Husbanders. And co-parents. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, where I think the movie really loses that messaging is at the end, when out of nowhere, Hiccup's like, hey, guys, actually, um, I've been thinking about it for the last two seconds, and (laughs) we need to send the dragons alone to the hidden world. We're not going to go with them. Because originally it really seemed to me like the hidden world was supposed to be this place for the Burkians and the dragons to live together. Yeah, they wanted a haven where they could basically develop a whole civilization and have... A syncretic culture. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, Stoic was the one telling Hiccup about the hidden world. But it turns out it's just a dragon sanctuary and... Uh, okay, like, we're, we just got, like, totally integrated and we spent all this time trying to integrate with dragons. Nah, fuck it. It's easier if we actually divide. Our people cannot live together. Again, really nailing in this unfortunate undercurrent of xenophobia that runs through the movie. Well, yeah, because... Or in, the series. Yeah, because in the dragon sanctuary, they kind of set up that Oh, humans aren't welcome here, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it got me thinking, you know. Like, the best way to get rid of prejudice for a certain group is to remove one of those groups entirely, right? Yeah. That's not problematic, is it? It it struck (laughs) me as the whole separate but equal thing, and it made me really uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a girl in one of my history classes, right? My teacher said, hey... Are any of you from outside the U.S.? Uh, you know, several people raised there. And he says, how is racism in your countries? And one girl said, I'm from a country where there isn't racism. Wow. Impressive. And, and we were all like, really? Really? She's like, yeah, I, I think it was uh, it was a Middle Eastern country. I think it was like Iran or Iraq, one of those. And she said, yeah. You see, they... There isn't racism there because there aren't people of other races. And everyone just, like, cringed and was like, Oh, are you sure that's right? That's... (laughs) If you can't see how that's not racist. (laughs) Think about it. Think about it. I I don't see it. Therefore, it does not exist. Yeah, if... If the opportunity for racism doesn't often come up, that doesn't mean you're not racist. And it's not in there fact, underneath in an undercurrent. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I don't know what Hiccup is exactly thinking. He's like, if humans go away for, or, I mean, if dragons go away for 10,000 years, humanity will become wise enough, not while not believing in dragons. <laughs> that one day when dragons come back we'll be like we're ready yeah. <laughs> it's like no no 
You can't prepare for something you don't believe in. It's like, oh, this is too hard. The struggle is too difficult to, like, do the work to actually form meaningful bonds and, like, convince other humans that we can live in peace with the dragons. The work is too hard. We're just gonna separate. (laughs) Now, let me get this right. Are you guys telling me that when the aliens who built the pyramids come back, humans are not going to embrace them with open arms? Oh, boy. Weird. Real weird. Another thing. (laughs) I would like to introduce you guys and the listeners to the to uh, a little film called How to Train Your Dragon, Gift of the Night Fury. It's a short film that came out after the first How to Train Your Dragon. Okay. Why would I be why would I be bringing that up? This is How to Train Your Dragon 3, right? So is Gift of the Night Fury. And let me explain that. Gift of the Night Fury, right? It's a holiday special. Okay. What happens in that? All the dragons leave. Right? It's like, whoa, what's going on? Our dragons, why they left without us? What's going on, right? Toothless, he can't leave. He's a, he's a handicapped. He can't leave without hiccup, right? Yeah, he's yeah. missing his ta- one of his tail fins. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is like, well, you're lucky, hiccup. You get to keep your dragon. You're one to talk constantly, right? Uh, but, you know, Hiccup, he feels really bad for Toothless. He's like, oh, the dragons have been gone for a while now, a couple days. But uh, Toothless, he's a tortured soul, right? So he makes this tail for Toothless that lets him fly on his own, like he does in How to Train Your Dragon 3. Hick- uh, Toothless bails. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as he right? gets that tail, he's gone? He's gone. Whoa. He's gone. And to- Hiccup's just like, ha! <laughs> <laughs> showed me, right? <laughs> I Got guess fucked. I'm just a dumbass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. That's good. I want to. I want a shirt with Hiccup's face saying, "I guess I'm just a dumbass." <laughs> It'd be good. So you know what happens? I forget how Hiccup does this. I think. Oh yeah, that's right. He hijacks a baby Gronkle or something. The one that Fishlegs is raising, which is also present in the third film. And he gets to where all the dragons have gone to. It's this coral atoll. It's this little island where the dragons have gone to reproduce. And all their (laughs) hatchlings are. All their hatchlings are. And then they all come back with babies. And... So much of that is Whoa. just so close to this film. Yeah. Except that the dragons come back and it's a happy ending. And Hiccup oh, and Toothless destroys the tail at the end because he doesn't want to fly without Hiccup. Whoa. He wants the, yeah. He breaks it on a rock while Hiccup is trying to stop him because Toothless doesn't want to part from Hiccup. Do they reference that in this movie? Yeah, they do. There's a line yeah, where he builds the new dorsal tail, or I guess not dorsal, tail fin. And yeah. he's like, this one's, you know, you're not going to break this one or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the thing was, it's like, I don't think a large portion of their audience saw Gift of the Night Fury, which is actually pretty good. It's worth watching. Uh, but like... 
it feels like this is a an edgier retelling of this holiday film they already made. Yeah. And it and it's less thematically appropriate for the series. I'm not sure. Yeah, so it sounds like the series has a real problem with locking in a message and sticking to the theme that it is kind of pushing from one minute to the next even. Yeah, like if like maybe we can handle this in the rewrite and fix the messaging so that it's kind of consistent. But there you go. maybe it could have something to do with them kind of spreading, prophetizing the message of uh, unity to other community, human communities. Yes, our rewriting history will be one day the dragons will return and when the sons of Skyrim spill their own blood. <laughs> that has yeah. Vikings and dragons. That's true. <laughs> and you can ride them. Yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is all really interesting stuff, guys, but I really want to talk more about Grimmel, so maybe we should maybe we should go to some other place where we could talk about that or or space or Oh, you mean another segment? Oh yeah, something like that. Maybe one called Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood? Yeah. I don't know if I could find my way there unless there were maybe like a song. Oh, what is that? Do you hear something in the background? Wait a minute. What? This is Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. The part of the show where we take a look at the antagonists of the film and determine if they were evil, or maybe they were stupid, or maybe just misunderstood. So guys, we gotta do it. We've already touched on this before, but let's talk about Grimmel. Yeah, we mentioned that he's evil. Yes. So I guess we have that going for us already. Murdered a helpless creature while he was uh, a teenage boy, and then shows zero remorse or pity for it. He gives zero fucks. Mm-hmm. He's a traitor to the people who he's made an agreement with. Yeah, so he's chaotic. He doesn't stick to his word. Yes. He's uh, speciesidal, like we mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Wants to kill off all the Night Furies. Yeah, yeah. and dragons in general. Uh, he's played by F. Murray Abraham, who played Sally Arian Amadeus, so... Evil. <laughs> See, he's the man. Okay, maybe in less red. evil. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Is that who is that who he was? The man in red? The guy who tormented Mozart? Yeah. But it was really Solieri. <laughs> Spoilers <laughs> for Amadeus in our How to Train Your Dragon 3 review. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, we can add that to Grimmel's crimes as well. He basically, Amadeus. He's, he basically just spouts all these harmful stereotypes about dragons that they're just mindless beasts that are going to attack people and that humans are better than them. And He's basically a supremacist, like we said. 
yeah. which is pretty stupid, if you ask me. Yeah. But then again, he's also like... Cunning. Cunning and an inventor. So he's a little stupid, but mostly just evil. Yeah, it, yeah, it's mostly just evil. He's also willing to kill the party members a lot. I thought one thing I liked about his character was how relaxed he always was around the main characters. And the reason I think is really funny for that is because they built a reputation of being peaceful pacifists. So if you're the psycho cunning killer, why would you be nervous around them? That's a great point. If you know that the worst thing that could happen to you isn't being killed, then why are you afraid? He just shows up in the middle of Burke. Like, Burke is completely undefended. These Vikings have really let their guard down. Yeah. yeah. He's like, what What reason does he have to be afraid? He's willing to kill and knows that they aren't. And he so, just shows up and sits in Hiccup's throne, too. Yeah. And Hiccup is mad, but Grimmel isn't, he's not even phased. I like that. So I don't, I don't think he's stupid. Maybe he is pretty, he's got a lot of gumption. Yeah. He's a little stupid. He is. But like, he, uh, he's just evil. I think right? he might be a little stupid because he gets really cocky and he underestimates the intelligence of others. That's fair. It's true. His real goal is to have fun, I think. Yeah, I think so. He His only real joy is in the hunt. Yeah. Live for the hunt and you die for the hunt. He, and he did. Did he die? Yeah, he hit the water, remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's kid's Yikes. movie for death. Yeah. yeah. You go into that water, you are done. <laughs> I suppose there's also the misunderstood, right? Because everyone wanted him to kill those Night Furies. Everyone wants him to kill the dragons and steal them from Burke, right? And he's raised I mean, all the evil people. Like you said, Jack, he's raised in a culture where th that places him as a hero. Yeah. So he thinks he's a hero. So perhaps initially, at one point, he could have been misunderstood and it just made, uh, through a habit. Became evil, motivated by evil. I guess you could argue that because his bad behavior was reinforced by so many other people, that in a lot of ways, society is the real villain here. Seems like it. Wait, wasn't that on another? And another. And wasn't that the villain in... Wait a minute. Increasingly so. <laughs> yes, very interesting. It's the culture of violence and unwillingness to be flexible or to develop understanding. And close-mindedness. And, and the urge to be close-minded that's the real villain of perhaps all of our movies. I don't know. And our lives. You know, well, except for that one with Thulsa Doom. He's just, like, a great villain. That's you know, in the war between people and dragons... Grimmel really displayed a lot of signs of toxic humanity. <laughs> Good yeah. point. Great yeah. point. It's true. Plus, he uses toxins. So it's a metaphor for toxic behavior. It's true. Yeah. Remember how there was that dragon in the first movie that was just inherently evil, but it was the only one, luckily for us. Phew. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what. And they got it. By by darn, they they got him. 
The next time I'm out on the street walking and I see a dragon, I'm just going to give him a wink and a nod and say, good work. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, when you think about the villains of all of the movies that we've watched in this trilogy, they are all trying to enslave the dragons. Yes, so at or, least or this movie does get one overarching theme absolutely right, slavery bad. Yeah. yeah. And remember that time, speaking of villains, you remember that time Toothless killed Hiccup's dad? Oh, yeah. And then took all of Burke's dragons and flew them off to a secret world? Yeah. I don't know why I felt like bringing it up. <laughs> I don't see how that's relevant, but sure. <laughs> no, sure. Oh, so this is... And yeah. broke Hiccup's heart. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so they're fighting against slavery and genocide the entire time and their answer ultimate Shit. their ultimate answer and solution is not to change human societies from within it's to separate and live separately but equal and i just really don't like that yeah i think that's that's not only disappointing that's a damaging message to send people yeah i really don't like that as a capstone message for the movie but on that note why don't we head to the smithy Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature of the film using a well-honed rating system of <laughs> 1 to 10 weapons of some kind, often swords. What is it this <laughs> time, Jamie? That's a great question. So, Chelsea, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature? And then give us a rating from 1 to 10 flaming swords. Oh boy, that's the best kind of sword. Um, My epic feature is the flaming sword. Um, That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I give cool. the flaming no. sword 10 flaming swords. Uh, I'm going to say my epic feature is the dragon utopia. The, no. hidden, the hidden world itself. It was so cool with all these dragons that we've never seen before and like bioluminescent fungus and dragons that are basically under the black light and their scales look all cool. And there's all these... Rave party dragon. Party. Yeah. All these cool crystals among the stones and it's like under the ocean somehow. It just don't think about it too hard. Uh <laughs> it was beautiful to look at. So yeah, that's my epic feature. Um piggybacking on that as part of my rating is how beautiful this movie was. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. The animation totally. is like leaps and bounds more intricate and detailed and uh realistic looking the water looks so realistic it it was just a really beautiful movie to watch i felt like the narrative 
up to the end was kind of a natural progression of the preceding two movies. And I felt like it made a lot of sense. And to a point, the messaging was somewhat consistent throughout, and the, so were the conflicts. And they just were kind of escalating with each movie. But they fall so hard on their face with the end message, it loses a few points, I gotta say. So, this movie would have gotten maybe a 7 or an 8. I think I'm gonna give it a 5. Ooh, ouch. That's a big drop. Because of how hard they flubbed it at the end of this entire franchise here. Mm-hmm. With all these spin-off shows and miniseries, like, or, I mean, holiday specials, it just leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth. And it's too bad, because it is so visually appealing, and they obviously did a lot of work on it. But I'm just so upset <laughs> by the way that they chose to just give up. Are you mad or are you just disappointed? That's worse, too. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that brings down the whole messaging and value of the entire trilogy, you know? So that's where I stand. Uh, five out of ten flaming swords. Tough but fair. Jack, how about your epic moment or feature, and then your rating from one to ten flaming swords? Okay, well, I suppose my epic moment is going to be the wedding at the end. Between Hiccup and Astrid. That's a good call. I liked their outfits a lot. That, you know... They they had the wet the wedding tunics. They had the oh, hand yeah. binding ceremony. The hand fasting, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just as like a more traditional Viking wedding, I thought that was really cool that that was represented in this movie. Their tunics were, Mwah. yeah, yeah, and they had these flower crowns, both of them, which was great. I thought it was really cute. Very romantic. If you had only seen the second and third movies, you would think they were a great couple. <laughs> fair, fair. Their beginning was rough, but I like how they, uh, their relationship ended up. Yeah. And I, I thought it was just a very cute, good ending to it. Because if that, if that scene wasn't in there, I would have thought this series had a very sad end. Yeah. <laughs> like you were saying. And, like, that was just a happy moment in a sad ending. So. Yeah. <laughs> to me, I, I liked it. I liked that scene. That's cool. uh, That was good. But, uh, I feel like Grimmel was probably the most interesting villain in the three movies. And I still feel like the conflict was... Not the right conflict for the film. I'm just... I'm more upset that the Warlords were in it than if they just had a blank screen time <laughs> where the Warlords should have been. 
They just detracted like, from just, the quality of the story. Just show like a shot of the ocean for that amount of time. Yes. And I remember the first time I saw this film, I'm like, isn't this villain just like Drago too? Yeah. And he's not actually. In in a lot of ways he's different, but I you know the conflict should really just come from the new life that the dragon riders are trying to make. Yeah. Not from like, oh, there are people out there and they are bad people. They want to stop us. It's like, what? Isn't that... Okay. It just... It didn't... The themes... It... I just didn't get it. I just didn't get it. The movies felt very messy to me. Yeah. The hidden world pissed me off also. Okay, let me tell you, it was beautiful. Very beautiful, very cool. This is where dragons come from. Is it even on Earth? I don't, it could have been a portal to another dragon universe, right? It kind of seemed where Vikings have Scottish accents. It was so irrelevant. Like you said, Jamie, that you maybe they were gonna live there. That was part of the plan, didn't matter, right? Did I need the lore for where dragons came from? I didn't, right? It wasn't important. And it just gave us a way for the dragons to leave. But that wasn't a good ending either, I don't think. No. So it's like, why did the hit, why did I see the hidden world? <laughs> what, what was it there for? And what were, why were the warlords so evil and foreign? What? Yeah. I don't know. I, I enjoy this series a lot. I like, I've seen all the movies multiple times. That means I like it. But it, do I think it's well made? I'm. It's. Uh, let me tell you how well I think it's made. I think it's four out of ten flaming swords. Wow. Because it's it's sort of like if it's sort of like a bunch of people had ideas and they just didn't cut any of them, yeah. and they didn't follow through any of them because they all conflicted with each other. Yeah, it was like. Okay, this writer gets 30 minutes to 45 minutes, and then that writer gets 45 to 60. (laughs) It's like a telephone game. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I enjoy this film. I'm definitely going to watch it again. Mm -hmm. But it's, it is, quality wise, I think it's a four out of 10. In terms of the narrative quality? Yes. Yeah. The animation's a 10. Come on. Yeah. The animation is a 10, easily. Yeah. The animation defines a 10 for animated films. Yeah. I think. But yeah, what about you, Jamie? What is your rating out of 10 and also an epic moment or feature in reverse order from what I just said? Well, Jack, thank you. I'm glad you asked. I'm going to say that my epic feature has an epic moment associated with it, but it is... We'll just call them Hiccup's Crew's sweet new dragon suits with made of dragon scales, fireproof, and with built-in squirrel suit wings so that you can glide. Squirrel suits are those, like, outfits that you can, like, glide in with, like, wings and, and, like, you can jump and, like, do base jumping with them. And they're crazy, and I'm obsessed with them, and I would never actually want to, like do it over rocks and stuff, but I like to watch videos of people flying in them. Yeah, and it's super it cool. It seems like it would be really fun. Yeah. Also terrifying. Yeah. Also, it's a great way. way to fucking eat it. It's, I was <laughs> going to say, it's a great way to become stuff on a rock. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they, <laughs> they use it, and I'm thinking, like, oh, that's a really cool detail for dragon riders to have these for safety. They're fireproof, so if your dragon shoots a fireball and flies through it, you don't get scorched. Yeah. And if something happens to your dragon and you need to bail, you've got built-in wingsuit. Yeah. Ready to go. It's basically really cool like detail. your uh, parachute. Yeah. And so all of Hiccup's crew has uh, one of these outfits, and it's super cool. And so I thought those scenes were neat. Wearing that suit when Grimmel comes to kill them all. Fuck later. you! That's why. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. When he's when falling, you... to, he thinks to his death, and the Light Fury has to save him. So here's the problem: he just would have looked too cool. <laughs> and you can't, uh, you can't have your protagonist looking too cool at the end of your movie, saving himself with one of the plot devices that has been established earlier in the movie to save you from that very scenario. So I didn't see what did it, but the the wings were all torn apart and some of the metal bits were like hanging loose as well. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Fine. They But I don't know what caused that. Other Incompetence dragons. probably. <laughs> also, they're made of dragons. I guess dragons shed. Or does that imply that they killed a dragon for it? They or, shed. Or maybe they one shed a lot. Okay. They talked about them shedding, and they showed them picking up the scales they were shedding. Okay, fine. And it was actually pretty disgusting. Dragon, <laughs> dragon leavings. Yeah, because you see, um, that's my son's name. <laughs> you see, toothless like scratching himself, and scales come off, and it's just all. Just I, I'm making myself nauseous talking about it. Stop. <laughs> Well, anyways, I am probably going to give this movie... I'm going to split the difference and give it four and a half flaming suits. Okay. <laughs> I didn't find myself to be particularly enthralled with it. I was... I'd say I was mostly entertained, but I definitely found myself kind of, like, mind-wandering, looking at the clock. Um, and, you know, obviously that's never a good sign. Um. I enjoyed certain scenes and certain aspects, but I think that, yeah, I kind of agree, or I very much agree with you guys. The ending just leaves me with such a bitter taste in my mouth about how the messaging feels really off, how I feel like they established this interesting series, and then just really shit the bed at the end of like, oh, actually, <laughs> oh, like, fuck. You, you know how dragons are super important? Nah, fuck it. We can't really coexist. That's Butt Nuggets Elder shit the bed. Yes. If you That's wanna, correct. If you want to feel good, if you want to feel good about it, just watch Gift of the Night Fury, the holiday special. All right. Yeah, maybe that's the way to yeah. go. Um, Again, gorgeous. The sand particle effects. The water, super impressive. The character animation, like top notch. Dragon design, really nice. Sheep wearing dragon outfits, beautiful. Love it. Yeah, that was cute. But overall, I definitely felt like it was a pale conclusion to a series that up until this point, I feel like I really enjoyed and I was always found very compelling. Yeah. I don't remember what ratings I gave the earlier movies. But it's got to be better than this. It like, was across the higher. board for it all of us. It was higher. Yeah. Um, you know, Kit Harrington's character, Eret, son of Eret, is one of the more interesting characters. 
completely relegated to the sides here. I'm yeah. assuming that they had Kit for one day. Um, Volka, uh, Kate Blanchett's character, one of the most interesting characters in the series in the second movie, totally underused in this. Mm-hmm. She's basically just a plot device for uh, Butt Nugget or whatever, one of the other kids. <laughs> Fish, oh, fish legs or snot, uh, snot lout to just kind of lust after. And that's yeah. just awkward and like. Uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, this it, is that... my daughter, troubling x ray. <laughs> <laughs> so just a lot of underused characters, a lot of unresolved plots that didn't really go anywhere. I don't understand why they killed off Stoic in the end of the last movie to just have no like consequences from that in this movie. I, I just feel like the continuity is way off on the whole series. So yeah. I think I just talked myself down. I'm yeah. actually going to go with four flaming swords. That's easier to divide. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, guys, I think we've kind of covered this movie from the inside and from the outside so um i think this is a great place to wrap it up but as always we'd like to thank our listeners for joining us this week and every week here at swords and satire we really appreciate your support and if you enjoyed this episode maybe consider leaving us a review it really helps people find out about the show yeah and if you really loved it and you can't get enough of it, then you should head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and become one of our patrons right now. Or, you know, just like in a minute. (laughs) You'll get tons of great uh, bonus content like rewriting history episodes, outtakes. Oh, and there's a lot of them. Yep. And, oh... You can vote on the movies that we watch each month. Oh, and what was this week's movie? This week's movie was one of the ones that the patrons voted on. That's right. When we asked the patrons what sequel to one of our previous movies they wanted us to cover, it was a landslide for How to Train Your Dragon 3. That's right. And if you don't have the funds to send to your favorite artists right now, you can go uh, tell a council of your friends, but be careful. I hear, I hear councils are a real fire hazard. <laughs> oh, boy. But, uh, yeah, spread the word. Tell people, you know, word of mouth. If you tell your friends and they tell their friends about our podcast, well, then, then what? Then what? Indeed. Then, then what? Then everybody's listening. <laughs> Tell us what on our social media, like Jamie mentioned. That's right. And uh, if you want to find out more about Swords and Satire, you can follow us on social media at Swords and Satire on Instagram and Twitter or join the Swords and Satire Facebook group. This will help you get updates for what movies we're going to be watching and some memes for the movie we watched every week. And then what? (laughs) I just, it will never end the promotion <laughs> at the end of our episode. But until next time, Hail Crom! Damn, dude. We've got this down. Uh-huh.
And then what? <laughs>